0: Hey, this week's edition of Banner Monday is coming right up. Before we get to that, a quick word from this week's sponsor, SeatGeek. As you know, getting tickets online can be far too complicated. With hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability, it's hard to know who to trust. And that's why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action. For a great value. Obviously, the regular season is over now, but you can go to SeatGeek right now and find tickets to the Big Ten tournament to see Indiana play on Thursday and then whatever games they are able to earn after that. And then whatever tournament Indiana gets in, whether it's NCAA tournament or the NIT, you'll be able to find great prices on those tickets as well at SeatGeek. So just make sure that SeatGeek is your source when you need tickets to go see Indiana play in this year's tournaments. And SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever, which is why you should go there. By searching multiple ticket sites and grading every ticket based on value, SeatGeek helps you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget, and every purchase is fully guaranteed. So you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. I have the app on my phone. It's what I use when I want to buy tickets to sporting events or live, you know, concerts, any type of live event. I use SeatGeek, and that's why I feel comfortable recommending them to you. Best of all, listeners of the assembly call, get $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. All you need to do is download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code ASSEMBLY today. That's promo code ASSEMBLY for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event, we have the tickets. And now, here's this week's Banner Monday. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Banner Monday, where we kick off each week by doing what IU fans love more than anything else, talking hoops. This is the 19th edition of Banner Monday, and it is our 497th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the afternoon of Monday, March 11th, 2019. I am your host, Jared Morris, and let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud Banner moment. And this week's banner moment occurred at the 8.31 mark of the first half in Sunday's decisive victory over Rutgers. At that moment, Deron Davis had officially played more than five minutes in the game. Now, why does that matter? Because Indiana's record when Deron Davis plays five or more minutes this season is 16-7. and seven. Indiana's record when Deron plays four or fewer minutes, including five games in which he didn't play at all, is 1-7. Why the four or fewer minutes designation? Because it accounts for games like Purdue, Nebraska, and Maryland when Duran played a few minutes but could barely run and was totally ineffective. Archie has even said Duran never should have played in those games. So given that the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee has said that they take significant injuries into account, I hope they will consider this fact when evaluating Indiana's resume. Because Duran is back now and healthy. He has played 19.1 minutes per game over IU's last 10 games, and even in games where he has been limited, like the Michigan State game, in which he only played eight minutes due to illness, he still made key plays that contributed to the victory. As all IU fans know, Duran has been a huge part of the reason why Indiana has won its last four games, just as he was a huge part of the reason why the Hoosiers started the season 12-2. and Duran is an efficient offensive player, He makes 60% of his twos, gets to the free throw line at one of the highest rates in the country, and is a good passer. He's also a solid defender who makes up for his lack of mobility and verticality, with good instincts, brute strength, and quick hands. But perhaps more important than all of that is what his simple presence means for Indiana's depth and attitude. Duran playing half the game significantly lightens the physical load on Jawan Morgan, and Duran has a toughness and an outspokenness about him that this roster sorely lacks without him. Basketball teams are puzzles. They aren't just the sum of the pieces. Those pieces are the players, and it matters how they fit together. The bottom line is that Duran simply does so many things for Indiana that no one else on the roster can replicate, which is why Indiana's record is so much better with him than without him. So while Sunday was all about Indiana seniors, and rightfully so, what has come into crystal clear focus during Indiana's late season surge is the vital importance of Indiana's junior class. And in addition to Duran being healthy, getting the best three-game stretch of Devontae Green's career has helped to salvage Indiana's chances at making the NCAA tournament. If Duran and Devontae can continue to provide reliable production off of Indiana's bench, there's no telling how far this Indiana team can go. In the 11 games the Hoosiers have played with at least one of those two out or severely hobbled, Indiana is 3-8. and eight. With both Duran and Devontae active and healthy, Indiana is 14-6, and in other words, a no-doubt tournament team that many people would pick to make some noise. Now let's just hope the Hoosiers can play their way in and put that hypothesis to the test. All righty. Well, it's just me today. No, Ryan. He has uh, radio hosting duty in San Diego, so he wasn't able to make it. But I'm very happy to go through the mailbag, answer some questions for you uh, on this very exciting Banner Monday. Is, you know, th- These were very somber days there for a while. And now we've actually you know, had a couple of these in a row where we're coming off a couple of victories. Things are rolling in the right direction again, uh, which is very, very exciting. Mike DeCourcy will be here, as always, uh, to talk IU, to take a look around the Big Ten. And then Josh Wilson is going to join me for the last segment as we look ahead to Indiana's matchup against Ohio State in the Big Ten tournament, which a lot of people are kind of looking at right now as a bit of a play-in game uh, for the NCAA tournament. We'll see. Uh, Obviously, you know each of those teams with how many losses they have uh, need to continue to get wins. And then uh, tomorrow, coming up on Podcast on the Brink, we've got a couple of really good guests lined up. I'm going to be guest hosting Crimson Cast uh, tonight, so that should hit podcast feeds tomorrow. So, if you like listening to me talk about IU basketball, there's definitely going to be a lot of opportunities uh, to do that. Um, and, uh, and then if we can fit it in, we'll do Basketball 201 with Ben Ladner tomorrow as well. So hopefully we will be able to do all of that. All right. So let's hop in. And yeah, Aaron said, I feel like Ryan is not here more than he is here for Banner Monday. That has happened more over the last couple of weeks. Uh, only once was when he slept in and didn't show up. These other times he has let me know ahead of time. But his guest hosting in the San Diego radio station uh, is a big part of it. So. But let's hop into these questions. Uh, David asks, if we beat Ohio State and lose to Michigan State, because that is who the, the Hoosiers would play if they beat Ohio State, is that enough to go dancing? We got a lot of questions like this, as you can imagine. Jim you know, asked something similar. Joe Lenardi's latest bracket has Ohio State among the last four in and Indiana among the first four out. Although I trust Andy more than Joey brackets, which is smart, uh, doesn't this make our game Thursday a play-in game? So l- let me say this when it comes to talking about bracketology and NCAA tournament stuff. I don't study the other teams on the bubble. Andy does that. The bracketologists do that. Coach Tonsoni and his Delphi bracketology team, they do that. I pretty much hyper-focus on Indiana, so I can state the case for Indiana, but I can't really tell you how that compares to the other teams. And I think that's very important to remember is that it is dependent on what other teams do. So I asked Andy, I asked Coach, and frankly, I'm going to read you their answers because they will give you more insight than I will on how Indiana's resume compares with the other teams out there. So here's what Andy said. He said, in all seriousness, I would reiterate to people, and by people I'm pretty sure that he's referring to me, uh, that it isn't a checklist of things to accomplish, given the dependence on what other people do. So there could be scenarios where IU beats OSU and gets in, and others where they beat OSU and don't. I realize you know this, but I think oftentimes fans view it as a scavenger hunt, where you get in once a set series of things happens. It's too fluid for that at this point in the year. This is still Andy talking. That said, I would feel very comfortable with them being in if they win two, meaning beat Ohio State, beat Michigan State. If they win one, it's probably 50-50 in my book, dependent on what happens in the, uh, the Southern Conference, the WCC, the MAC, the MWC, and A10, plus the other teams right around the cut line. Coach responded as well. He said everything that Andy said. Really share that IU will be compared uh, to about 16 teams that are on the bubble. What those teams do matters almost as much as IU winning. The more IU wins, the better they compare, is the only guarantee. 14 lost teams and eventually 15 lost teams, which Indiana will be if they're on the bubble. Because for Indiana to not be a 15 lost team, that means they would win the Big Ten tournament and they'd be in automatically. So Indiana's bubble case, they're going to have to get in as a 15 lost team. And there have only been two other teams that have done that. So as he says, 14 lost teams and eventually 15 lost teams cannot win enough to be a lock. Um, as, you know, as he said, you know, lose to Ohio State, you're 17 and 15, you're almost surely out, but again, it'll depend on others. You know, beat OSU, lose to Michigan State. Now it feels like you have a fighting chance, and probably if you win those two games, you would feel really, really good about your chances. So that's the best that I can answer that. What I would suggest is make sure that you're following Andy Bottoms. Make sure that you're following Delphi Bracketology on Twitter. Andy's new bracket will be up Tuesday. Uh, We publish those over on InsideTheHall.com now. So be sure to check those out. He'll be doing daily updates. And it just depends. Indiana needs to take care of its business by continuing to win. Uh, But you also got to pay attention, you know, for instance, like in the WCC conference, root like heck for Gonzaga. Because if they lose, you know, they're going to get an at-large bid. So you don't want them to be a bid thief. So that's the uh, that's the best insight that I can give you on that right now. Uh, Lee asked, with all the Bracketology comments, what is the meaning of last four in and last four out? Who are required to play in from 68 to 64? Uh, what are the uh, last four buy entries? So last four in, that basically means, Lee, that as Bracketologists are putting their field together these were the last four at large teams that they put in those were their last four the last four out then would be the four that are kind of waiting right there you know so maybe if one of the last four out wins and one of the last four in loses maybe they could kind of flip right so if you're one of the last four in you know obviously you're feeling okay because you're in but again you know to use that Gonzaga example say they lose in the WCC tournament which is unlikely but you know i guess could theoretically happen they're going to get an at-large bid, so one of those last four in would get bumped, and they would now be in the last four out. That's kind of how that works. So when you see that, you know what what the bracketologists are talking about. If you're on the bubble, you'd certainly rather be in the last four in group, but that is, you know, by no means should you feel safe at that point. And then the play-in games, what is known as the first four. Those are the four lowest ranked at large teams and the four lowest ranked automatic bid teams. And then they pit those teams in Dayton, play them. They get, you know, then they play for a certain seed in the overall bracket based on how the bracket matches up. Usually for the at large teams, it's either an 11 seed or it's a 12 seed, just depending on that season. So that's how all of that stuff works as you're looking at the bracketology. Well, let's see. Bill says, my question is, would it really be such a bad thing if Indiana made the NIT this year? And if that's the case, how do we turn that into a good thing? How many wins would it take in the NIT for us to feel comfortable with the ultimate outcome of the season? So I think it's interesting how the answer to this question has really ebbed and flowed throughout the season because context is always you know, so important. Like I don't think there was ever any way for making the NIT to be to allow us to look at this season as a success in the macro sense. Like once we, once we kind of step back in the off season and look at it, which we will, but in the moment at times, especially like three weeks ago, it kind of felt like, man, you know, we've lost 12 out of 13. If we can just somehow salvage this thing and make the NIT, you know, at least that'll give us something. At least we'll have made the tournament. It did feel like there was a brief window there, maybe of a couple weeks Where just making the NIT would have really been kind of a major achievement. And again, something of salvaging the season because it really felt like the team that we saw earlier in the season would never return. And so it kind of felt like that was our last hope to just get something. I believe that time has passed because now what's happened is Indiana has won four in a row. You've gotten yourself you know, to 17 and 14, you've gotten yourself to where you really feel like if you win this first game in the Big Ten tournament, you've got a really good opportunity to make the NCAA tournament. And if you do win the first game, now you're getting to play a team that you've already beaten twice. And we'll get to that in a second. So I think the time for feeling good about the NIT is over. I think now it's clear that that will be viewed as a major disappointment, given what this team has done. Because they should beat Ohio State if they keep playing the way that they've been playing. We'll have to see how that game goes. So, you know, you look at it now, you know, so how many wins would it take in the NIT? Well, I feel like, you know, if Indiana does make the NIT, and again, that's better than nothing, then I think you've got to go out and win the NIT. <laughs> because if you're, you know, we've spent so much time talking about how Indiana should be in the NCAA tournament. Well, if that's the case, and we know how good Indiana can be and how many good teams they've beaten, well, then if you're going to make the NIT, you better at least make the Final Four. And really, you're going to need to go win it, I think, for people to consider that a success. So it's better than nothing. Three weeks ago, it seemed like it would have really been something to kind of salvage this season. Now, I think it would be a major, major letdown, a major disappointment, Um, and it would be interesting in a sense, I guess, it would be interesting to see how Indiana would respond to that and and how they would handle that, Uh, but I'm really hoping that we don't see this because I think this Indiana team, the way they're playing right now, they are a tournament team the way they're playing right now. Whether their resume ultimately gets them in, we'll have to see. But they're playing like a team that could make some noise and win some games in the NCAA tournament, not just the NIT. And so I think that's why we're all so excited now to see them get in Um, and uh, hopefully to make some noise when they do it. Uh, John says, is Romeo Langford physically and skillfully ready to play in the NBA next season? Uh, Yes, is my simple answer to that. Now, you said play. (laughs) Is he ready to start? Perhaps not. Is he ready to be a star? No. He's got a long way to go. But, you know, Romeo is a good athlete. He's tall. He's pretty strong, given his build. And I think he can add, you know, more muscle. Uh, And, you know, he can move pretty well laterally. Like, he's got a lot of the physical tools that you need to play. Skill-wise, he's got some skills that are going to translate, you know, in terms of his ability to get the ball up on the rim around the basket. Uh, You know, some of his... uh, Passing vision, which I don't think we've seen a ton, but which I think we would see a little bit more at the NBA level. I think he's got good defensive instincts. You know, Now, maybe he's not 100% locked in on that end all the time, but he's got good instincts. He's proven to be a good rebounder. These are all things that he's going to have to keep getting better at, and it will change given the, the how much more physically mature the guys are in the NBA. But yes, I think he is physically and skillfully ready to play in the NBA next season. As a role player, as a guy off the bench... Kind of getting his feet wet. I don't think he'll play a ton of minutes, but I think he can play. I don't think he's a guy that's going to need to go to the G League unless teams in the NBA just think that his shot is so broken that they want to send him down there and fix that. But yeah, I think he's ready to play. I don't think he's ready to step on the court and be a superstar by any means, but I do think he's ready to play uh, and to contribute to an NBA team next year. And that is absolutely what he will be doing. uh, And hopefully. You know, he stays someplace close to home and lots of Indiana fans get to go see him play on a night in night out basis. Let's see here. JD wonders, is this the weirdest IU season that you can remember? What are the other contenders? A few of those Mike Davis seasons would have to be in contention as well as the last few night years. Uh, Samson season was also pretty bizarre. Yeah. You know, the Samson season definitely comes to mind that 2008 year when Indiana started out 17 and one. Eventually got, you know, to twenty four and four and then just bottomed out. You know, it finished twenty-five and eight out in the first round, got an eight seed, I think. And a lot of similarities just in terms of the makeup of that team. You've got the, you know, the really hyped recruit in Eric Gordon. You've got the whole you know, the the senior, you know, dominant big guy in DJ White, very similar to Romeo and Juwan. Uh, but obviously, you know, that season cratered for different reasons and it cratered at the end and never got back on track. This season cratered big time. In January and parts of February, but now seems to have kind of gotten itself back on track to where, you know, hopefully the team can actually do something here at the end of the year. You know, another season that really comes to mind is the 2017 season, which was a really, really weird season, Um, you know, given that Indiana beat Kansas, they beat North Carolina early and, you know, got all the way up to number 13 in Ken Palm, even higher in the human polls. I think Indiana was in the top five at one point after the win over North Carolina. And then ended up finishing the season 44th and too scared to play an NIT game at home uh, and just got throttled in that NIT game. So that was a a weird season and somewhat comparable from the sense of how Indiana started and how they cratered. Again, that season never got back going. This season has turned itself around a little bit. And I think, you know, so many of the Mike Davis seasons were just strange. I mean, everything about Indiana basketball was strange uh, in the aftermath of the. Of Bob Knight getting fired, even the 2002 season where Indiana made the finals, that was kind of a weird season. It was weird in a good sense, you know. But I, you know, and even though that team did pretty well in the Big Ten, it never really felt like a Final Four team necessarily until you you get in the Sweet Sixteen in the second round and or in the second half, and you're coming back against Duke, and then you know they just made all those threes the next game, and all of a sudden you look up and they're in the Final Four. So that was a strange season too. But I mean, look, there have been. There have been some weird seasons uh for Indiana, just as there have been uh, I'm sure for other teams but this one this one certainly ranks up there given how Indiana started all the close games that they won early on, then the injuries and the weirdness of the injuries you know the i mean two concussions for freshmen which is just so strange, you know, a guy like Jerome Hunter not being able to play at all. I mean, it just seemed like it was one thing after another at the start of the season. And there was so much excitement, you know, given Juwan coming back and Romeo coming and still in in the second year of a new coach. And it just bottomed out so fast in January and seemed like it would never change. And then you've got that weird win at Michigan State that, you know, just came out of nowhere And then Indiana beats Michigan State again, and you have a win over Wisconsin. So, I mean, your three wins were, you know, some of the most unexpected ones that you could have, but now, you know, and now they've won four in a row and seemingly gotten things turned around. So, very strange season, uh, but there have definitely been some other ones that rank up there. Uh, And probably if you go back even further, you know, I can't remember a lot of the details of some of those, but there've definitely been some strange ones. Joel mentions the nineteen eighty-five season. I'm sure if we had Bill Murphy on here, he would tell us, you know, probably ten other seasons that were really strange. Like the the nineteen sixty season was kind of strange because that team started out so poorly and then just started killing people in the Big Ten, beat eventual Big Ten champion uh Ohio State toward the end of the season by like nineteen or twenty points, I think, but didn't end up making the NCAA tournament because only the Big Ten champion went. And that team might have been playing better than anybody at the end of the year. You talk about missing banners. So anyway, lots of weird seasons in IU history. But I think by any measure, this one is probably going to go down in the top five, top six of all time weirdest seasons uh, once it's all said and done. Let's see. Uh, So Bill asks, assuming a surging IU handles the downward trending Ohio State on Thursday, can a team really hope for beating a Big Ten team, let alone Tom Izzo and Michigan State three times in one season? What would that take? So obviously that would be a huge challenge. And I think Michigan State would get Nick Ward back, which would obviously be a big shot in the arm for them. Um, because you know Tom Izzo talked after that second game about their depth issues down low and how tired they looked, and we noticed that from the stands. Not that Indiana played a ton of guys that game, but they certainly did look tired, and Nick Ward would help that. But I want to cite this statistic, and you may have seen it already, and don't worry, I'm going to give it the proper context at the end, but just remember this when people talk about how hard it is to beat a team three times in a row. Over the last 10 years, this is according to Sports Inc., there have been 981 occurrences of two teams playing a third game in which one team is 2-0 in the first two games. The 2-0 team has won the third game 72% of the time. All right. So the majority of times when this happens, the team that won the first two games and demonstrated in the first two games that they were the better team on that court for 80 minutes, they've won the third game. Which is kind of what you would expect. That would make logical sense, but this cliche about beating a team, you know, for a third time, has gotten so ingrained in our brains that we kind of assume the illogical, uh, you know, the illogical is what happens. The caveat is this: you know, context matters, and every individual case is different. So I don't know what the data says about the third game when the team that is and 2-0 heading into the third game was the underdog in each of the first two and then is the underdog in the third game as well because that can't have happened very often. And my guess is that winning percentage for that team is a lot lower. So that is something to take into account. I did look in Indiana's Big Ten history, Big Ten tournament history, there have been three instances in which we have played a team in the first round or the second round of the Big Ten tournament that we had beaten twice in the regular season. It's happened three times. In 2012, we beat Penn State twice in the regular season, and then we beat them in the Big Ten tournament, 75-58. to 58. If you are triggered by really negative Big Ten tournament moments from the past, turn this podcast off or turn the volume down for about the next minute, okay? because you're not going to want to hear what I'm about to say. The other two times that this happened, in 2008, we beat Minnesota twice in the regular season. <clears throat> the aforementioned 2008 uh we lost that Big 10 tournament game 59 to 58 you might recall last second shot being involved in 2002 the aforementioned 2002 we beat Iowa twice in the regular season <clears throat> we lost that Big 10 tournament game 62 to 60 i seem to remember a uh some last second heroics being involved in that one as well so not not real good history there uh for for Indiana but, you know, when you look at the Michigan State game, I mean, what Indiana would need to do to beat them again is just what they've done the last two times. I, I mean, I fear that matchup because I fear facing Cassius Winston. Uh, you know, you just I don't want to be opposite him that often. And obviously they've, you know, just went and beat Michigan for a for a share of the Big Ten title. But given the defense that Rob Finnessy is playing. You know, given the way that we're rebounding right now, given the pace that we're playing out, given that we have Daron Davis back to help, uh, you know, absorb some of those minutes down low, you know, we play well against this Michigan State team. We've done it twice now. It's not a fluke, you know. And so, yeah, I mean, it would not be easy by any stretch of the imagination. And you would certainly think that, you know, Justin Smith will have their attention. Devonte Green will have their attention now. Um, but we've beaten them twice for a reason. And I would absolutely not look at that as, you know, oh my God, we're going to have to play some miraculous game to beat them. If we go out there and play our game, we can beat them. Now that's the question. You know, can't we've, we've shot pretty well in those two games against them. Can we do that again? You know, do we bring the same commitment to crashing the glass? You know, what adjustments do they make? So it would be a fascinating game to watch, obviously. Uh, And Indiana, it has taken some unexpected performances from guys like Justin Smith and guys like Devontae Green uh, to win those games. But I think it would be fascinating to watch. I hope we get that chance. Um, and uh, I will, if that happens, I will go into that game with confidence, feeling like we can win because we've played them 80 minutes. Shoot, we've played them 85 minutes because the first game went into overtime. And, you know, did the first game go into overtime or double overtime? The first game went into double overtime, right? No, the first game was overtime. The the Wisconsin game was double overtime. So we played them for 85 minutes, and we've been the better team. Slightly, but we've been the better team. The margins are close, but I like the way we're playing. I mean, I feel more confident about the way we're playing right now than I was going into either of the first two games. So, you know, yeah, it it would be a really, really challenging game, but the thing is, it wouldn't take anything other than what we've already done. And with the way that Justin and Devontae have been playing lately, it's not like those were complete outlier performances. They're now playing a lot better. We'll see if it continues on Thursday. If it does, that will obviously give us all more confidence heading into that potential rematch on Friday. And then Lisa says, what's up with Caleb Wesson? Uh, Any thoughts on Ohio State versus Indiana being a play-in game so we'll talk about Caleb Wesson in the last segment, uh but he is back if you didn't hear. Everybody assumed it would be a 3 game suspension when he was suspended. It is a 3 game suspension. He will be back. So we'll talk about what that means. Um and in terms of it being a play-in game, maybe the best way to term that instead of calling it a play-in game, I think it's more of a play-out game because I don't necessarily think and again, this is based on what Andy um uh, has told me about you know what Andy and and uh, coach have talked about you know you're not guaranteed to get in if you win this game but it does feel like both of these teams are really going to be on the outside clo- you know more on the outside looking in if they don't win it so I think it's more of a play out game and then you've really got that opportunity against Michigan State that would be to me a true play in game for Indiana because I can't see if Indiana gets to 19 wins they've beaten Michigan State three times. You know, And all the other things going for the Hoosiers, I can't see them being left out at 19 and 14. So that would seem like more of the playing game for me. Um, Aaron mentions that I forgot 1998, uh, Ohio State, we beat them three times. You're correct. That was the pre-Ken Palm era. And I forgot the Big Ten tournament went back that far. So I was just looking at the – I was looking on Ken Palm to get those numbers. So there was another one in there, which is good. Um, Okay. Coming up on the Assembly Call, it is time for our Big Ten Roundup with Mike DeCoursey. What were his takeaways from Indiana's two victories this week? What is he expecting from the Big Ten Tournament? Does he perhaps have a dark horse pick for the Big Ten Tournament? Stick with us here on the Assembly Call. We'll talk to Mike about all that more. Welcome back to Banner Monday. Each week here in our second segment, we zoom out to get an objective opinion on our Hoosiers and to look at how things are going across the Big Ten Conference. There's no one better to do that than Mike DeCoursey, who covers Big Ten hoops for BTN. In addition to his columns for the Sporting News, Mike, welcome back to Banner Monday. Once again, we have some IU victories to talk about. You do. Uh, and
1: they were very impressive on no, I think in both those games. If you, it, it, it's one of those deals. If you'd seen that level of commitment and urgency, even just two weeks earlier, at least they wouldn't have any question about whether they could get in the tournament. Uh, they would have enough victories that it wouldn't be a doubt right now, and they wouldn't be the 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 target. It, 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 when when we were on BTN this weekend, Dave Revson referred to them as like the poster guys. And, and it's not really so much a poster as it is a bullseye that Indiana is at the center of the bullseye for every team that wants to support their favorite mid-major. It doesn't matter how solid the Hoosiers case might be relative to, say, oh, I don't know, Clemson, uh, which is one and nine, I believe, against quad one. Uh, because of, this, of, the, uh, of the number of losses, they are the target. And so uh, I think that'll continue right up until selection Sunday.
0: What, what in particular jumped out to you about these two games that you think are things that Indiana can really carry forward and maybe help, you know, help them have some success in the Big Ten tournament and prove their case even more?
1: Well, I think, first of all, there's the urgency from the jump. There, there was no fooling around in either game. They knew they wanted to establish a tone early that they were serious about winning. Uh, they got on top of Rutgers immediately. Uh, it was, you know, they were running, uh, they were fast. They were running when they were in half court. They weren't ponderous. They were into the pick and roll. Boom pass. Boom layup. Let's go. And that made a huge difference in in how that game played out. Illinois a lot of the same way. Uh, they they just they they just were ready to play in both of those games. And you know and you know I I. I My concerns that we've talked about on multiple occasions about Justin Smith's engagement, uh, about Devontae Green's uh, risk taking, um, they—they were, I think, I think they were real, and I think the fact that Arch has mentioned attitude, he mentioned specifically about Justin, how much better the attitude is, how it changed. I'm trying to remember now which game I believe it was after the Iowa the second Iowa game the one on the road that they all that they went into overtime and lost
0: mm-hmm.
1: and how much Justin's attitude has changed Well, his attitude's changed now what now look what what we said all along he's a terrific player he's a terrific player he could he could have been doing these things all along uh, and, and look I understand kid you know young people are uh, are going through a lot to college uh, personal life and it's possible that some of that uh, distracted him from his mission as a basketball player uh and it's also possible he lost his confidence somewhere along the way and it's also possible he wasn't as engaged as he needed to be but regardless uh, if he continues to play this way Indiana is a significant team when he's when he's involved and he's playing for you know i don't know if i've ever discussed this on this show but I have this, there's a lot that I love about IU's traditions. I'm a, I'm a big traditionalist. I hate the fact that their numbers aren't on the back of the jersey. Uh, are the they, names? The names are not on the back of the jersey. I think that's just awful. Uh, <laughs> you will never get me to buy into that. Um, uh, I, I, I will continue to point out that, and, and I, I mentioned this at BTN over the weekend, and they were amazed and also frightened that I knew this, um, that no team has won the NCAA championship since 1988 that did not have its name on the back of the jersey. So it's something to remember. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but it, I was going to say that he played, that he's playing for the name on the front of the jersey instead of the name on the back. That's why I got off on that tangent. Uh, but he, he is. I mean, he's, he's playing for Indiana, and his contributions are massively meaningful to this team.
0: So, you know, another guy who's been really big the last couple of games and certainly the games before that is Rob Finney. And, you know, his when he was out with a concussion, even once he came back, you could tell he wasn't right for a while. And he's back. I mean, he's leading the offense. He's spearheading the defense. I, I put something on Twitter uh, a couple of days ago, and I want to get your take on it because I'm probably crazy. I'm certainly biased and I want to get an objective opinion. But. Xavier Simpson and Cassius Winston have kind of been, you know, the the belt holders of best point guard in the conference this year, and rightfully so. Cassius, it's going to be all his next year, assuming he comes back as a senior. after that, I mean, who else would you project right now that's in the conference more than Rob Finnessy to be the guy as a junior and senior that is the best point guard in this conference? And if you're looking for kind of reasons for hope for why Indiana will continue to get better, we know the importance of point guard play in this conference. And to me, it starts right there with a building block like Rob Finnessy.
1: Well, he's terrific. Uh, you know, I mean, I owe I Desumu I uh, maybe, but I don't think Io will be a senior. I hope he's a sophomore, uh, but I don't think he'll be a senior. I don't I don't have much doubt that Rob will and that he'll have a great, by the by the time he's done, he'll have had a great Indiana career. He is excellent at both ends of the floor. We talked early, way back, Northwestern game, about his uh, his occasional unwillingness to shoot the basketball. And I think his confidence got dinged by the concussion and the play afterward. And then I think his concussion got dinged by being in the middle of 12 losses in 13 games. And And being the guy that has the basketball in his hands while all that's happening certainly had to have an impact on him. But as they've gotten better, he has fed off of that and he has fed into that. And I think that the more success that Indiana has as a team, the better player Rob Finnessy will be. And when people look forward into next year and they say, oh, gosh, you're going to lose Romeo and you're going to lose Juwan. And how are you going to be any good? Well, you're bringing in some very good recruits. You still have Al. You still have Devonte and, and, and Justin, and, and those guys will presumably have both feet in the boat from the beginning. And you have Rob Finnessy. And when you have a point guard, I mean, look around this league, Northwestern in particular, no point guard at all. They are, it, It's the difference between them being – you know, playing on Thursday, trying to be alive in in the NCAA tournament hunt and playing as the last place team on Wednesday and just trying to find something to hang on to for, for uh, you know, into the offseason.
0: That's been and, Indiana the last two years.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's how important a point guard is. And now you have one and you have a guy who's good at both ends. I mean, look at, look at what Xavier Simpson has done for Michigan over the last two years. I mean, when they began last year, they didn't, you know, they, I think they went into the season expecting Xavier would be the guy. And then he wasn't kind of ready. Practice didn't go well preseason. Uh, they tried some other options. They didn't go well. They went back to Xavier. Something clicked, and boom, they're in the championship game. He comes back as an emboldened, vital part of this team. They come this close to winning the league championship. They're a top 10 team. They will go into the NCAA tournament as a team with the potential to make the final four or go beyond that. That's how important that position is. So the fact that Rob, you know, that they, that they found Rob, that they got him uh, from Purdue's backyard, uh, that he's the first guy to come from West West Lafayette uh, in generations. And to be this guy is a huge recruiting win for Arch. And I think that now Indiana fans, after all the, frustration and disappointment that, that occurred during that losing stretch. I won't call it a streak because they did interrupt it there, but that losing stretch, uh, that they should look at now what a huge victory getting Rob is, uh, what a huge victory it is to get Devontae and Justin playing well, and then you have Trace Jackson Davis and the rest coming in next year,
0: and I think there is promise for the future. The guy that we haven't talked about yet, and I think in in some ways it it can be easy to overlook him, but I want to throw out this stat and get your reaction. In games, Ron Davis plays four or fewer minutes, Indiana is one in seven. In games in which he plays five or more minutes, Indiana is 16 and seven. (laughs) And, and, And I want to ask you to, in this way... We know that the selection committee at times will take injuries into account. And if a guy missed time but will be back, they try to look at, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but they try to look at what that team looked like with that guy, because you've heard that talked about a lot with Zion. Now, Deron Davis isn't, you know, wasn't a headliner injury necessarily. And he's a guy off the bench. But if you spend any time watching Indiana, you see all the things he brings to the table. Is that the kind of injury that the committee would take into account and say, they're so much better with him and he's healthy now?
1: You know, it's... It, part of the problem in that is that they lost games while you know went after he returned uh, from his injury. So it, it will be it will be something that I will say that the committee will be aware of that there will be someone at the Big Ten conference. I'm not sure exactly who their liaison is. There will be somebody at the Big Ten. It could be Jason Yellen. It could be someone else who will be in charge of making sure that kind of information is conveyed to the committee every conference has that and obviously uh you know when you're in the uh, atlantic sun say or or maybe the big south is a better example this year uh you might say um you know you, you you don't have to really bug the committee that much with your maybe with your circumstance because you know you're you're in and you're probably getting a 15 or 16 you know mm-hmm. but uh so the the, the teams the, the the reps from the big 12 and the SEC and the Big Ten and Big East, et cetera. And they will make sure that that kind of information is in front of the committee. I don't think it'll be a difference maker in them getting in or not. Mm. I, I, I do think that he will be a difference maker in them getting in or not because, as you said, with him, they've been very good, and now they have games they still have to win. I mean, I don't think you can lose on Thursday no. and expect to get in. Um, I think that you can lose you can win that game and then lose on Friday. And go into the weekend hopeful that the committee will see what you've accomplished and see that it stacks up really well against teams with fewer losses, because that's kind of what you're up against. Uh, is there? You're, the, you're probably going to be the only. And again, this presumes that there is an at-large conversation for Indiana. That in, that you know that they're not winning the championship on Sunday afternoon and wiping that out of the. Uh, out of the conversation that presuming there is an at-large conversation for Indiana. I think they will be the only 15 loss team that is given serious consideration. Uh, What will be interesting is whether or not they, as a 15 loss team can force their way ahead ahead in line of people with fewer losses. I will tell you that in looking at the resumes of some teams that the bracketologists have said are locks, I don't understand it or, or in or locks or whatever. I don't understand it. I don't understand Oklahoma. I don't understand Clemson. Um, I I think that you can ask questions about Iowa if they don't do something soon. Um, I'm not saying they should be out. I'm just saying you can ask questions about them. Uh, you can ask questions about, um, about Syracuse to an extent, although I think that Duke win on the road will – trump just about anything anybody else has done and that may be what gets them in but i I, those are all elements of of this discussion tcu i i I don't see texas being involved in the conversation but if you're going again if you're going to look at anybody else that's in a massive loss situation let's call it uh that that if it were indiana versus texas it's not even a competition i mean there it's not close Uh, indiana's quality wins far in excess uh both in terms of number and weight to Texases. So I yeah, you know, I we'll see and again, I'm making all of that predicated on beating Ohio State on Thursday. Because if they're 17 and 15, they'd have to just basically they'd have to be like Tulsa was, I think was it 2015 or 2016, where Tulsa basically all the guys went out for pizza. Uh, and, or at the mall and we're just hanging out and then they got a call, oh, by the way, you're in the tournament. And they're like, no, you must have the wrong number. Uh, <laughs> that, it would have to be like that. So you got to beat Ohio State for this conversation to really matter.
0: As we head into the Big Ten tournament, power rankings top four, who are your top four teams heading into yeah, the top four seeds?
1: Yeah, it, it's an easy choice. Uh, now I will, go, I will go with Michigan State over Purdue again. Close competition. They both finished uh, 16-4 in the league. Michigan State was better out of the league, so they stay in first. Then you look at Purdue. Uh, I, yeah, I think you have to give them the nod over Michigan uh, uh, based on the fact that they did win the league and then go with Michigan. But uh, it's, it's, it's close to a 2-2A two and two a situation there because Michigan, as a team, clearly outperformed uh, Purdue in non-conference and overall has outperformed them uh, for, the, for the season. And and then the fourth team, I will go with Wisconsin. Even though Maryland, look, you look at them, and they are really dangerous from a talent standpoint, if Wisconsin can get its act together offensively, they, their offense comes and goes. Uh, you know, Trice and Davison, in terms of the shots uh, that they make, which often coincides with the quality of the shots that they take, especially Davison, uh, then, then they become a team that, especially past this weekend, becomes really dangerous to the opposition because big Ten teams know what they get in Wisconsin outside teams just as outside teams with Syracuse look at that zone and say, "I got no idea how to deal with this uh, outside teams going against Wisconsin have much the same problem just in different ways.
0: all right, so I have another question for you I'm going to apologize in advance for not prepping you for this one, but I did no. that for a reason because i I want to get your just kind of gut reaction to this so Starting from February 17th, and this date was strategically chosen, uh, which if you think back to Indiana season, you'll probably understand why I chose that date. But if you go to barttorvik.com, which is such a great website, you can actually look at the, the adjusted efficiency margins by date, which is something that Ken Palm doesn't have, so it's really interesting. So if you just go with games since February 17th, how, what do you think the rankings are of Big Ten teams in order of their Bart Torvik power rating in just mm-hmm. games since then? Well, How do you think, think they're ranked? I would think Purdue would have
1: to be up there Um because I just was talking about them last night somehow managing to uh, be 8-2 and two even during, uh, during Carson's slump. It goes a little further back than that. His slump began at the end of January, early February.
0: Purdue is um, third in the Big Ten. There you
1: go. Um I'm going to say that, uh, that Michigan is not as high as their overall performance would indicate. Because they have-
0: I would have thought that too. Michigan's actually number one in the conference. Well, I, know. I, know. I know. I know. It was very surprising when I looked at it.
1: I know, I know this. Uh, their offensive efficiency has gone up considerably. When I looked at their ranking yesterday, as I was preparing uh, a, a list for, for the show, for, for Big Ten Basketball and Beyond, a list of, the top of the, my top eight teams to win the national championship, when I looked at their offensive efficiency for Michigan and I saw that they were like 15th, I was shocked. I, I, I mean, cause it had been problematic for a lot of the year. So yeah. uh, it, it's surprising that it would get better for the for a lot of the period when Charles Matthews was out, but that position switch seems to have unleashed Iggy or really unleashed him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has been great lately. Yeah. Much better. Uh, since then, I don't know if it's the position switch or just, you know, maybe getting through the freshman wall or whatever, but, He's been fantastic. And and that's really impacted them as an offense. Hey,
0: speaking so of Iggy, I- speaking of Iggy real quick, I was talking about this with Alex Bozich and how razor thin the margin seems to be between Iggy and Romeo for freshman of the year. Who would you give the nod to between those two guys? Cause it is hard when you look at it.
1: Uh, you know, it wasn't that hard for me because, really? yeah, because although, you know, I, I certainly respect what Romeo has accomplished, uh, I mean, you're talking about a freshman who is averaging significant numbers on the third best team in the league, uh, and a team uh, you know that 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 was down to the final you know what five minutes to win a title uh, versus a, a other you know another guy that uh, that had to fight to get to eight and twelve, and good for them they did. But I, to, for me, it, that that's the decisive factor and a pretty clear decisive factor. Now, if it was Iggy was averaging twelve and. Romeo was averaging 17 and they fought to get to eight and 12, then that might be different, but mm. their numbers aren't that different. And one is on a wildly successful team. And the other is on a team that is only beginning to get to the point where you could call them successful.
0: Okay. So back to our Bart Torvik question. So we've got Michigan first, Purdue third, again, in order of their power ranking at Bart Torvick since February 17th, who, so who else do you think is in, in the top five?
1: Number two, right? Is that what you're going to tell me? What'd you is- say?
0: Indiana is not number 2. They're not that high. Indiana okay. is 5th. Okay. So and, and that is that is since the uh, the Minnesota game cuz it's interesting if you look at them just during like the 5 weeks prior to that, Indiana's like 150th. <laughs> it's just it's awful. So I, I like to I like to look at the times since the Minnesota game. It's been uh, it's been much more pleasant. Where does Penn State fit in? Though? Penn State is 2nd. They are 6th overall in the country since February 17th.
1: It's amazing. It's is unbelievable. And it's a shame for them because that was in there all the time. It just is it even more. I mean, just Indiana at least was, gave itself a position to recover to. Uh, with its early season performance, they gave themselves an opportunity to recover so that they could be playing interesting basketball at this time of year. Yeah, They did not do that. The only interest that Penn State has is in the next 40 minutes, because if they can keep those 40 minutes going, um, maybe they could do it. And having gone out and beaten Michigan, in the the game two and a half, three weeks ago. I don't think that there's anybody there that thinks that's not possible. I mean, it may not be likely, but I don't think there's anybody in that huddle that thinks that's not possible. So that's all they've got to play for. They've got the next 40 minutes. But Indiana has the possibility of winning enough so that Selection Sunday is interesting to them.
0: So as we look forward to the Big Ten tournament now, who is your favorite? I mean, who who would you kind of bet on? Who do you think will win it? And then, who are your one or two dark horses from maybe the bottom half that you think could really jump up and make some noise?
1: Well, we just talked about one. Uh, I think I, I think Penn State is a threat. What seed uh, are they? I believe they are the ten. I okay, get, so they got a buy. Minnesota. Okay, they get yeah. The first round buy, and if, I believe they're playing Minnesota. I thought that's what we talked about last night. Uh, and, and, and so they are a threat to Minnesota. I mean, I, 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 again, I don't think Minnesota is in, in, I think they're in good shape, but they certainly don't want to go out and lose to Penn state. And one could say, well, it does you know, it's not going to matter that much to them. It's not going to help them that much. Mm -hmm. Hey man, if you're, if you're in this circumstance, every win helps right now. I mean, there are, there are, like it, like with Indiana, I, I I heard some people converse in, in conversation uh, here, you know, just casually or even in you know on broadcast saying you know, that there are certain wins that don't help Indiana. Every win helps Indiana. They their biggest thing is to put wins between them and five hundred. Every game they get away from five hundred gets them closer to the field because they don't need quality wins necessarily. Now, you know, in, in a sense, I mean, the, with the way the bracket worked out you have to beat quality teams to get those quali- to get those wins. Uh, there was a time when it looked like you could get empty wins, uh, but they would still matter. And now, now that, you know, that, now that won't happen. You, you'll play Ohio state, which is a fellow bubble team. Uh, you'll play then if you win that Michigan state, which is the conference champion and a likely top three seed in the tournament. So uh, that's, you know, that's, that's the factor for Indiana. So I, I do think that Minnesota going against Penn State, uh, that's a you know that's a game that they have to look at as we need to win this game. Not uh, you know it won't help us or you know it's not a quality win. It's a waste. No, they need to win that game so that they can feel good about where they are. Uh, that, so that's a team you know in in Penn State that I I really believe is is threatening. Uh, there, Lamar Stevens is playing so well. Josh Reeves has it together again. Uh, They're, they're really strong. Um, Otherwise from the bottom of the league, um, I don't think, you know, I think Rutgers can maybe stick around a little while, but I don't think Illinois is on its game at the moment. Lost two at two at the end, uh, one at home, which should have been winnable for them. Uh, They weren't, they were not really a factor in that game. Uh, And then one on the road in which they were led. They, they, I believe they led at halftime and they just got smoked in the second half. So, don't think they're really on their game. Maybe Chicago helps them. Maybe they get a good crowd at the United Center. Uh, but you know, I'm not sure that that they can do damage going forward in the tournament.
0: And who? I mean, of the top teams, who do you think is most likely to take it home?
1: Well, if if Michigan State gets back Nick Ward this weekend, and I I know they're going to want to because they'd much rather play a couple of games, if not three, with him back so that they can figure out how they wanna use him. I don't believe that he's going back into the starting lineup um, because it doesn't make any sense. They're a better basketball team with Xavier Tillman as a starter. I'm not gonna say they're better without Nick, but they're better with Xavier as their starter uh, because Xavier is a much better defender. Uh, They lose the raw low post ability that Nick gives them but it hasn't really impacted their center production. I mean, if you look at Xavier's numbers uh, in the time that he has been the guy versus Nick, they're not that different. And as a rebounder and defender, he's better. I mean, he's much better as a defender and and he has been more productive as a rebounder. So I don't think that Nick's going back into the lineup, but I do think that he can be a terrific off-the-bench reserve that you can put in there. You don't have to worry as much about his fouls then mm-hmm. because you you know that Xavier Tillman's a, a superior option. So he goes in, he can play physically. Uh, he goes in, he can rim run. He's the best in the league at that. And he goes in and you can throw him the ball in the post and know that the op- opposition has to deal with him, And usually will have to deal with him when they're not fresh. So I think that that makes them, if he's available for this weekend, I think that makes them the favorite in this tournament.
0: I would ask you about the potential IU Michigan State matchup, but I'm not about to jinx anything. And we've jinx had, that. we've had, no, no, no. I'm not, we've had too much bad luck in the Big Ten tournament and against Ohio State recently that I take <laughs> nothing for granted. So I will not ask you that. My last question to send us off here Do you like the Big Ten tournament? Like if you've given the chance to have maybe two more regular season games or play this Big Ten tournament, what would you prefer? Oh, I love the Big Ten tournament. It's, yeah. I, I, this is really one of my favorite weeks of the year.
1: I liked it better though. I gotta say I loved it last year when we went to New York uh and played that and they played that week ahead of everyone else, and then the following week, I could sit back and watch every other league every other big time league that was just great that was delightful I mean, I know the coaches aren't for that, but I'd do that if, if, <laughs> if you like gave me like a wish out of the genie, I'd say, oh, let's do that every year you know I mean it was Uh, it was really cool to be able to watch, you know, the, uh, the SEC and the ACC and all those different leagues and not have to worry about, you know, I mean, obviously I have obligations at BTN and and I'm covering the tournament for sporting news. And, and so I, you know, it got to be in the arena the whole time. And I, and I love being in the arena. I will tell you that one of the really cool things about this year's big 10 tournament, my favorite day really in those tournaments is the quarterfinal day because you are basically locked into the gym dawn to to midnight all you know basketball wall to wall it is fabulous and the games are usually highly competitive because all the teams by that point are pretty good and or pretty hot um so that's my favorite day i honestly believe if you look at The four games that will be played on Thursday in the second round of this tournament, they are virtually quarterfinal quality games. They're they're way above quarterfinal quality in the Pac-12. I mean, they are are quarterfinal. So you're going to have two days like
0: that at this year's tournament. What more could you ask for? Well, Indiana would just ask to be in the quarterfinals every now and then in the Big Ten tournament. So, hope <laughs> hopefully we make yeah, that. But this year.
1: Indiana will be part of that first quarterfinal day.
0: Well, yes, yes, we'll be part. Of, we'll be part of Thursday. We would like to be part of Friday this year. So they,
1: it's in their hands,
0: man. They it is.
1: Can, they, can, they can be part of both those days. I think they will lead off both those days. If
0: yep. They, Early games in both.
1: So there you go. So can they? Not, they can not only get to be involved on those two days, but then if they succeed. They can sit back, chill out, put their feet up and watch everybody else go at it.
0: Ironically, this is the most optimistic Indiana fans have been about a Big Ten tournament in a long time. And it's simply because this season's been so weird. If there's ever going to be a year for us to make noise in the Big Ten tournament and we're actually playing well now, why not this year? It would just make sense with every, all the other weird stuff that's happened. So I will say this,
1: as weird as some other things have been, if they play like they have played in those recent games, they will be in those two games. Yep. I mean, uh, they, they, the, the level of performance they delivered yesterday, uh, the level of performance that they delivered in the Illinois game, the level of performance they delivered in the Michigan State game, those are winning efforts in this tournament. I mean, yep. that, that doesn't mean you win every game, but those efforts put you in the game, at the very least, in the game at the end with a chance to win and maybe put you in a position – to close out, to move on.
0: Absolutely. Well, Mike, we look forward to talking with you next week. It'll either be a very somber Banner Monday or a crazy one with more topics to cover than we can even manage in the time that we have allotted. So either way, we look forward to it and look forward to getting your insight. Me too, Jared. Thanks much. Yep. Thanks, Mike. Okay, coming up here in our final segment on Banner Monday, Josh Wilson is back to help me discuss Indiana's upcoming matchup with Ohio State. What has changed since the first meeting a few weeks ago? What impact does Caleb Wesson's return have? Stick with us in the center call. Welcome back to Banner Monday. Each week in our final segment, we dedicate it to previewing Indiana's upcoming opponent for that week. This week, it's the Big Ten Tournament. Indiana faces Ohio State on Thursday. Uh, We are absolutely not going to look ahead past that game, as I just said, with Mike DeCourcy, because uh, too many bad things have happened in the Big Ten Tournament and against Ohio State. I am absolutely not going to tempt fate, and I absolutely am going to continue wearing the same outfit that I stumbled upon right before the Wisconsin game. It's a new outfit. Hadn't worn it all year. It's 4-0 this season. You better believe I'll be wearing that exact same thing for the Big Ten Tournament. It probably has no effect, but I don't know that. So I'm not going to, again, not going to tempt fate. Things are going well right now. We need to keep this going. Uh, Joining me here, uh, as he often does for the final segment, Josh Wilson, the host of the Inside Out podcast. Uh, Occasional guest fill-in for the assembly call as well. Uh, most recently for the Michigan State game. Josh, before we talk IU Ohio State, you were in Simon Scott Assembly Hall for the Rutgers game on Sunday for Senior Day. What was that like? What was your takeaway both from Indiana's performance and then just from the the speeches and the the overall ambiance of the day?
2: Yeah, you know, I think the performance was great in itself. Uh, I do have to give a big shout-out to the, the 15,400 and whatever it was Uh, fans that were in attendance Uh, as you all know it's pretty tough to have the energy um, that the students bring and just the the raucous raucousness that they can bring but uh, that was one of the best atmospheres that I've been in an assembly hall this year Uh, maybe the Louisville game was a little bit better but uh, again you had students there so shout out to the fans they played a big part it was uh, it was great to be in there a lot of energy people believe
0: in this team again man
2: yeah and I, and you know wins you know winning cures all and I think that was that was huge um the performance was great you just see a team that believes they believe in each other they believe in what Archie Miller has been telling them for the last 2 years and they're finally starting to see the results um of what he's been what he's been coaching them and telling them to do um so it's it's really inspiring and just you know, we all love basketball again, right? Watching these guys play, you know, get at it on defense. And, you know, they were four of 18 from three, but nobody talked about that just because of how well they played. Um, so, but, and then, yeah, the senior speeches, um, you know, it, it was pretty cool to listen to the guys give shout out to uh, Tom Crean and the Crean family, which, it was, you know, I nice to hear. My wife was with me and she's like, well, isn't that awkward for Archie? And I was like, no. I was like, he understands that, you know, you know Crean brought those guys in and obviously it was Archie's decision to keep them and, and you know they're just as thankful um to Archie I'm sure but it was cool to see that and you know Juwan's comments with, uh, about day De- Duran being a uh, uh you know Juwan being one of his emergency contacts and you know, I I found the uh, comments about thinking about transferring to be um you know kind of intriguing just because what it's like for in- kids that aren't from Indiana that come to IU that don't really understand what the front of that jersey means. And, and Jawan, I think, let us all know that he he figured it out eventually, and, it, and he wasn't ready for what being an Indiana Hoosier and a representative of the basketball program really meant. Um, I think he has a true respect for that now, yeah. and uh, it shows. Well, it had to be such a
0: whirlwind for him because his first year he comes in in 2016, where they're awful for a month, and they turn it around and are just playing so well, win the Big Ten, and then a the second year, they're great at the start of the year. The thing totally craters. His coach gets fired, and his head's probably spinning because that's when he was thinking about it, was in between, mm-hmm. you know, after Kareem got fired. And I'm sure everybody probably thinks about that when the coach that you, that recruited you, that you have the relationship with gets fired. I'm sure a lot of people feel that way. But it's obviously, you know... Great for Indiana, great for the fans, great for Archie. And hopefully, Juwan, you know, believes it's great for him that he stayed because, I mean, he really blossomed as an upperclassman. And I think, as a lot of people have said, was such an important bridge from the old era to the new and allowing us to get through this and play competitive basketball along the way. Because, man, you remove him from these two rosters and, you know, the one consistent rudder that you had is gone. And Mm -hmm. he just, I think, uh, uh, what was the line Bob Kravitz had? He he actually, he had a good article about Juan. It was something like an understated nobility. I'm getting that wrong, but he, he phrased it. Well, I'll go look it up. It's on his article on the athletic, but it, it was really well said because that's, that's kind of it, you know, I mean, he was never like, you know, the, the superstar necessarily and didn't always grab the headlines, you know, nationally, but man, just, you know, game in game out, you know, he came and gave you a great effort.
2: Yeah, he was uh you know solid. And you know, when I was in college, I went through a coaching change. The guy that recruited me was uh let go and you had to the, I guess it was a little bit easier for me because the uh, the assistant coach that was a mainstay in my recruitment uh stayed on staff. So that helped a little bit. But yeah, that's you know, it's a huge change. Um, you know, kudos for Jawan for sticking around because um, you know, a, a a detriment for IU fans is we don't make it easy on the coaching staff or the players just because of the large expectations we set out and what we expect from kids that uh, may not understand what it's like to play in Indiana just yet, what we expect from them from day one. So, um, you know, that, that really caught my eye that he said that. But, you know, the more I thought yes. about it on the drive home, just, just really what it means and what it means to him to be a Hoosier, um, I don't, he's got to be easily one of my favorites all time, um, just the way he's represented the program. And um, he, he, he had a lot of fans in assembly Hall that are on Sunday.
0: I mean, actually we're being reminded in the chat mob. That was actually the Juwan and, and other players were considering leaving actually before Kring got fired as well. So oh. the timing of that probably, different for different players, but the timing of that, uh, was, uh, was interesting anyway, that, that, yeah. that is probably true. So, but who knows alas, he's here, he had a great final two years, and we uh we greatly appreciate all of his contributions to i u basketball and hopefully there are many more to come and Certainly, Jawan is a guy who would like to avenge his performance from the first Ohio State game on Thursday because it was one of the least productive offensive performances he has had that just i mean putrid fifty five fifty two game. Uh, that Indiana played against Ohio State. It was ugly on so many levels. Juwan scored three points in that game. He did have 14 rebounds, but three points. And you'll recall that's a game where Ohio State basically just sagged off Justin Smith, put that man in the lane to clog things up for Jawan and Romeo, dared Justin Smith to beat him. He couldn't. You know, none of Indiana's shooters really could do anything. So, you know, Josh, as I look at this game, because it's these are two really evenly matched teams. They're evenly matched by record. You look up and down their Ken Palm profile. They're fairly evenly matched on strengths and weaknesses. They're defensive oriented teams. That's often you know their offense can kind of come and go. So you know I mean shoot their Ken Palm rankings. Indiana's forty second. Ohio State's forty fourth. I mean really evenly matched. When you look at the biggest thing that has changed. It's really, it's where Justin Smith is right now. Because at that time, that was a great strategy by Ohio State. You know, Justin finished with eight points, had a couple of turnovers. But he really seemed uncomfortable with how much space he was getting. And so many possessions were just wasted because he didn't quite know what to do. And then Indiana couldn't get anything going inside, which is where their bread and butter is. Now, Justin is functioning so much better offensively. He's making shots. He's playing with confidence. He's not going off the dribble out of control. He's actually scoring in some of those situations. And you've got your backcourt guys playing better because Rob and Al did nothing that game. I think they had two combined points. So I think if Ohio State tries that same defensive strategy, it's not going to work. So it'll be interesting to see how they adjust because that, I thought, was the biggest reason why they were able to win that game. And I think they're going to have to defend Indiana differently, at least if the Indiana offense that we've seen from the last few games is the one that shows up on Thursday night.
2: Yeah, and, and I was—I had the pleasure of being in the stands for the Ohio State game as well, and it was a god-awful basketball game to watch, <laughs> uh, to, to be polite, I guess. Um, but, um, you know, confidence is a huge thing uh, in the game of basketball, and really there's two different teams that are going to be on the court Thursday uh, from that meeting. Uh, Indiana looks totally different just from an attitude and confidence perspective. Uh, they're believing in what they're running. Um. Obviously, Ohio State's on a three-game losing streak. Caleb Wesson uh, was suspended for those. And <laughs> oddly enough, he's going to be reinstated on Thursday. Nobody saw that coming. Um, three-game
0: suspensions, you know, just like Devontae's. Yeah. It's yeah, pretty predictable.
2: True. Yeah. Um. But, you know, Ohio State's really a two-man crew. I mean, they have a good supporting cast, but Caleb Wesson and C.J. Jackson. But um, yeah, I really like the way I use defending right now. And I think Ohio State's going to be um, – you know, they're they're gonna have to adjust a little bit just simply because the way Indiana's playing defense. Um and just guard I mean they're they're guarding the ball really well right now. And you there's no question about it. So it, it should be interesting. Um I'm I'm curious to see if Archie will start Deron, though, just with to match up with Wesson better. Um and obviously we'll get to see race more as well. So that that's that's my one kind of curious moment heading in to see if he keeps Justin in the starting lineup. Because, you know, I mean, Izzo made comments after the, the last Michigan State IU game, but their teams are still going to make Justin Smith prove it. I mean, one game is not enough uh, to, to do that.
0: Yeah, no, they will. You know, the, the Duran thing would be interesting because I thought the Illinois game would have been an interesting spot to start Duran, mm-hmm. you know, and have him kind of guard Georgie early in the game. I don't think Archie likes switching up his starting lineups very much when uh-huh. something is working. So, I would be surprised if he changed anything. Now, that doesn't mean that he might not go to Duran early, you know, and maybe if Juwan picks up an early foul, get Duran right in there. But I, he seems pretty loath to change the starting lineup. So, I could see the logic behind it, um, but I don't think it'll happen. That said, I mean, I think once you get past that starting stretch, I would have to think that as long as Caleb Wesson's on the court, Duran will be out there. Because Wesson will only play, I think mean, he averages 24, 25 minutes. You know, part of that is conditioning. Part of it is foul trouble. And Duran plays about 20 minutes. So once you get past those first four or five minutes, if you can sustain that. And if I recall correctly, I think didn't Wesson score a bunch of points early in that game? He did. Yeah. And then he didn't do much after that. Um, And so, you know, so I think, you know, you might see a little bit of that if you're kind of trying to look at the game flow. You know, that might happen. But then I think, you know, you can kind of solidify that defense down in the post with Duran and match him with Wesson once Wesson's on the court after that. You know, if you look at keys to this game, you've got all the obvious ones. Like if one of these teams shoot really well from three point range, that's going to give that team a huge advantage. You know, all of those things that people don't need us to tell them because they know that going in. Like if you're looking at the things Indiana needs to do to win, when I look at it, I mean, to me, you know, it's kind of as simple as keep doing the stuff that you've been doing. You know, number one is continue to keep the turnovers down and crash the offensive glass because when you're a team that doesn't shoot a very high percentage, that's how you get more shots, and that's how you compensate for not shooting a high percentage is you get more shots. You know, Ohio State is, you know, a pretty good defensive rebounding team, so that'll be a challenge for Indiana. They're obviously a much better rebounding team when they have Wesson out there, so we'll see if Indiana, you know, can keep the... uh, can keep the offensive rebounding up. Ohio State doesn't force a ton of turnovers. They're kind of middle of the pack. So that's been a big thing for Indiana. And then I think the other thing that's big is push the pace. Keep pushing the pace. You always see Archie over there on the sidelines, you know, winding his arm up, wanting the team to play faster, which they can do now that Rob Finnessy kind of back, ready to direct the action, and Devontae is playing a little bit more under control, But that to me is one of the biggest things. If Indiana gets dragged down into the mud playing Ohio State's pace offensively, because Ohio State is one of the slower teams in the country on both ends, that's not going to be good. You know, Indiana's fully comfortable playing long possessions defensively because that's typically what they do. But offensively, the Hoosiers need to push the pace, obviously, try and get transition buckets, but, you know, don't force early threes, don't do any of that stuff, but really get out and try and go. Because you can get Ohio State playing uncomfortable at a pace that they don't necessarily like. And we've seen Indiana's offense function at a really high level over the last few games playing that way.
2: Yeah, and I think, you know, like you said, attack the rim just because Ohio State's depth isn't what Indiana's is. And I don't think Ohio State has real good quality depth outside of their starting five. Um, So really, you know, this is a perfect game for Jawan Morgan to take advantage of Caleb Weston. You know, what's his conditioning like? I'm sure he's been doing a bunch since he hasn't been playing. But at the end of the day, there's practice conditioning. There's game, you know, there's game shape. Um, You know, there's obviously going to be a rhythm that's missing a little bit. So I'm eager to see how Archie plans to take advantage of that because I'm sure he'll have a game plan. I mean, Archie always does. Um, but it's certainly got to involve attacking the rim and then attacking, you know, Ohio State, whether it's off a of make. Like you said, he's always winding, winding the crank there on the sideline, trying to get these guys going and get up the floor. Don't let him get set defensively all the way um, and take advantage of that. And Juwan on the offensive end is going to have a huge mismatch with Wesson just because he's quicker. He's crafty. He's just got to be careful on the defensive end. Um, and I just keep track. Of uh, is it Kyle Arns or uh, Justin Arns? Justin is, Arns, yeah, is that his brother that plays at Michigan State? I'm not sure, but
0: um, um. didn't he, he score kept, like 29 points in a recent game?
2: Yeah, and he lit it up because he he plays 10 minutes a game and he's averaging 3.6 on the year. So I don't know if he's been injured or if he just got crazy hot. I think was that against was that against Iowa? Maybe yeah,
0: probably <laughs> their <laughs> probably. last win. Yeah, everybody goes um, off against Iowa.
2: Yeah, except Indiana. Um, <laughs> But yeah, you got to keep track of him because you can't. He's obviously a very volume shooter, very streaky. So you know, keep track of him. But attack Wesson um, and keep him and CJ Jackson in check. And I think Finney going to be up for uh, the assignment there. I don't. I really don't think Finney was really back in his swing at that last Ohio State matchup. So I'll be eager to see um, how he's how he plays CJ Jackson because I think that's a really good matchup. Uh, I really, I think Finney's a good matchup on anybody in a big 10 right now, point guard wise, just the way he's playing. So uh, I'm eager to see, uh, eager to see how coach attacks Wesson and um, the defense for Ohio State.
0: Yeah, no, he's been locking people down, um, you know, still wasn't back in his rhythm that game. As I said, you know, he didn't do much offensively, had five points on two of nine shooting Al Durham with two points on one of two shooting. Those two guys have been much better of late, you know, and the other thing with Juwan, because I think you're right. He does theoretically have a mismatch down there. Mm-hmm. You know, again, you know, it players like Justin Smith are gonna have to do stuff so that Ohio State can't just like sag into the middle and clog things up. But also Jawan has to force the issue. And that Ohio State game, he took seven shots. Four of them were three pointers. He missed four of them, only took three twos. And if the Jawan from the Rutgers game shows up where he's just like, screw it, I'm going yeah. down and I'm dominating, then that's gonna be huge for Indiana. That's the guy that has to show up. And he's been playing much more like that recently and so you know if he can do that that's going to go a long way um and you know and then the other thing you know again you know we mentioned that the three-point shooting from earlier the only thing that i will say about the three-point shooting is it was the difference in the game ohio state went seven for 16 indiana went six for 20 so -hmm. indiana did a good job of limiting attempts but ohio state was able to make them you know, Indiana's three-point defense has been really good of late, so that's going to have to be better just in terms of not letting Ohio State get comfortable. And if this game is close, if we get into the final minute and C.J. Jackson is anywhere near the ball... Taking the words out of my mouth. Tackle him. Yep. Foul him. <laughs> but yep. seriously, I mean, really more accurately, deny him the ball. Make yeah. someone else beat you because that guy can make big shots. He's already done it against us. I don't care if, if he's shooting from 30 feet out. Don't let that guy shoot. Like, I think that's the thing. And I think Indiana's defensive awareness has been much better since that Iowa game. But know who can shoot, know who can't, and make sure that you're either denying or really challenging the shots on the guys who shouldn't be shooting. That's some of the attention to detail that has really been there when Indiana's defense has been playing well. And I think it's going to be important in this game.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Except for, you know, yesterday, CJ Jackson tried a a similar shot against Wisconsin and was five feet to the left. So it was timely, just as always, you know, if it's not (laughs) IU. (laughs) But um, yeah, Jawan Morgan has to play like every game, every day is senior day from here on out. Because, look, we've seen teams in recent memory get hot. Uh, Michigan comes to mind. UConn a few years ago comes to mind. Syracuse has done it you know make a run no I mean look this team has the components you just can't fall in love with the three okay be who you can afford to be this team can hit open shots but it doesn't need to take all of its open shots and look Ohio State's going to make you prove it uh, just because you know you've hit shots against other people but you didn't do it against them so they're going to make people prove it don't do not fall into that trap Indiana runs good enough offense where they can get the shots that they need and I think You know, there's there's enough laws defensively from Ohio State to where uh, Juwan and you know aggressive Rob Fennessy is really good for this basketball team, and I think it opens up other components of the offensive scheme. So if you get a um, an aggressive Rob, that could be uh, a, a big game changer for the Hoosiers.
0: It could. Two teams going in different directions. Indiana has won four in a row. Ohio State has lost three in a row by I think a combined margin of like 16 points, or an average margin of 16 points. You know. Obviously, getting Wesson back will be huge for them. But as you said, you know, what is his conditioning going to be like? You know, will he kind of be in rhythm? He definitely changes what they do, and it'll help them just having kind of his gravity down there on the post drawing Mm -hmm. attention. Um, But I think, you know, despite the fact that Ohio State won the first game and won it in Simon Scott Assembly Hall you know I, outside of just not wanting to tempt fate like i think there's a lot of reasons to feel confident about indiana's chances in this game and again that depends on the the team that we've seen for the majority of the last four games being the one that comes out and plays thursday and you know it's been a little dangerous to kind of expect that from this team this season but if they can do that i think just from a matchup perspective i think indiana has more talent and they have some things that they can take advantage of that they didn't in the first game that I have to think that they will hear so I feel good about it but we've also lost two straight to Ohio State and you know our Big Ten tournament history is what it is so I'm going to be nervous as heck Thursday before the game but logically rationally kind of looking at it I think there are several reasons to feel good about it for Indiana
2: yeah and you know uh um we all won, one. We absolutely do. Like I said, being there, they, I don't know that Indiana deserved to win that basketball game, but they should have won that game if it wasn't for uh, that bullcrap shot. But uh, you know, if there's one guy I'm betting on right now, it's Jawan Morgan. We all know the type of kid he is um, just his mentality. And look, I think he knows that he made all of us a promise in the off season and he's trying to do everything he can to deliver on that promise. And I'm, I'm betting on Jawan Morgan. So, hey, it's, you know, in the in the mindset it's Indiana against the world and everybody's telling you you shouldn't be here. You you know, you lost 12 of 13. No, you, nobody thinks you're good. It's hey, it's the 12 of us and the coaching staff. So, let's, uh, let's just go keep beating people cuz I mean, Indiana can beat anybody in the country. And it's very true and just keep proving it. And you get a chance at uh 12:30 Eastern time on Thursday.
0: Hey, I agree. And we will, of course, be here with a post-game show immediately following that. So hopefully it is a victorious episode. And then we can really start having some of those bracketology conversations.
2: Yep, get Tonsonian bottoms, get them fired up. That's right. Get them fired up.
0: Uh, Okay, well, that is going to do it for us on this week's edition of Banner Monday. If you want to see us do the show live and be part of the live chat, join us at assemblycall.com on Monday afternoons for the live broadcast of our Banner Monday recording. And you can always subscribe to our podcast by searching for Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to go to assemblycall.com or text IU to 66866 to join our free email newsletter, which will make you a smarter and more well-informed IU basketball fan. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you Thursday after the IU-Ohio State game. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. Go Hoosiers. Thank everybody for coming out. It's easy to enjoy watching guys enjoy themselves. Thank you for being here and for listening to this episode of The Assembly Call. We appreciate it. And we really do rely on the support of audience members like you to keep our show going and to keep growing. And so we have set up a page on our website at assemblycall.com slash support that lists five ways that you can support The Assembly Call. And we encourage you to choose whichever method is the easiest and most convenient for you.